the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Uh, now, let me explain how we get on the air through the engineering skills of Mr. Pete Paquette, uh, a veteran of, of many radio wars. And uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer, and he has produced Dr. Alan G. Forrest in this first segment. Uh, Dr. G is in Fresno, California. The book, The Language of Deep Forgiveness, Break Free from Struggling to Accept the Unacceptable. Alan, it's wonderful to catch up with you, and welcome to Orlando. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Alan, tell me why it was important to write this book. Well, uh, this book is the... uh first of seven books in my Forgive Well series. Uh, Forgive Well is the uh, ministry I started to uh, promote uh, an, an effective path to deep forgiveness uh, based on combining Christian spirituality with uh, brain science. And um, so this first book is focused on uh, the language we, u- we use to uh, define and express forgiveness. Now, this is, uh, you know, forgiveness is a, is a really important topic. Obviously, it's, it's central to the Christian faith, um, but but we, we we all know that people struggle a lot with, with, with this issue, in spite of being very sincere in, in wanting to forgive. You know, uh, and, and, you know, and and, 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 and you know, a, a well-known a research group, the Barna Group, uh, did a study in 2019, which stated that one in four practicing Christians struggles to forgive someone. And um, now those are the people that admitted it you know, on, on the survey. So the, the actual number is probably double that. And so, uh, so, so to put this in perspective, uh, right now there's currently 2.2 billion Christians uh, worldwide. And so 50% of this would mean that a billion Christians are struggling with forgiveness. You know, and then this is such a serious problem because unforgiveness is at the root of so many problems. Um, you know, in Hebrews twelve fourteen, it says, um, uh, "See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many." And uh, so, so I'm, I'm sure we have many personal stories we could tell about this happening all around us. You know, um, you know, and uh, the thing is, uh, of 
uh, unforgiveness is something that's, that's, that's much easier to, to identify in others than ourselves. Uh, you know, uh, we tend to think, you know, oh, my unforgiveness is not so bad. You know, I've got it uh, well-controlled and or at least repressed. But that guy over there, his unforgiveness is, is leaking out everywhere. You know, he's quick-tempered, you know, and gets angry at the wrong people all the time. Um, but the ironic thing is that uh, uh, these people um, may be thinking the same thing about some of us or in, in some situations. So, uh, so, so unforgiveness is the biggest problem that, 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 that I'm trying to solve and uh, provide a solution to. And, uh, you know, uh, and so the, the, the current uh, books and, and, and methods that are currently out there, uh, they, they may help, but they, uh, you know, they're, they're not as effective as they could be. Uh, otherwise, the, uh, the numbers wouldn't be so high. So what I've tried to do is, is create a, a, uh, a method of, of understanding forgiveness and, and to practice forgiveness that's, that's much deeper, that integrates, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know clinical psychology with, with uh, brain science and, and psycholinguistics and just, uh, you know, to just have a, have a much uh, deep, deeper practical book that, 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 that addresses that issue. Alan, I want you to talk about <clears throat> chapter one. You call it the significance of language, and, and then in, it leads to practicing deep forgiveness. Uh, I want you to expand on that for us, please. Oh, sure. Um, well, see, the thing is, uh, uh, language is very significant. Uh, the, uh, uh, so the, the, the actual words and sentences we use to define and speak forgiveness actually have an effect on how deeply we actually forgive in, in our heart. And um, so, and the language we use at church, you know, it's often, you know, not, not the most effective as far as getting to our heart. So, um, like, we may say, say something like, um, like for, for instance, you know, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I choose to forgive this person for hurting me. Forgive me for my bitterness towards them. I confess and repent of this sin and nail it to the cross of Jesus. I choose to completely release it to you. So that's a very typical prayer uh, that, 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 we, that we use in church to try to forgive. But, um, but what, what's, what's missing from, from these prayer models is that, is that it's language that speaks to the heart in terms that the heart can hear. And, um, uh, you know, and... You know, to, to uh, you know, give you an ex- example of that, of what I mean, is uh, I, there's two uh, uh, pillars of forgiveness that I talk about in my book, and there's four views of, of those two uh, of those two pillars. The first view is I call it the basic view, and so here's how I've defined forgiveness: uh, forgiveness is having an attitude towards the offender, which both states a you don't have to make up for what you did to me. And B, I don't have to hurt you for hurting me. So, so, it, uh, so if we were to do an, an experiment where, where, where you think of someone that, that, you, that you, need to, you still need to forgive because uh, they keep coming to mind and, and, and you have unforgiving thoughts towards them, um, you know, if you, if you practice uh, trying to speak forgiveness in the way you normally do it, it has a certain effect, right? But then, if you if you use these words, you know, um, 
you don't have to make up for what you did to me, and I don't have to hurt you for hurting me. Uh, when you say when you use these words, it, it goes a little bit deeper. And and the reason why it goes a little deeper is is that the language of the heart is like the language of a child. It, it, it it's simple and it's direct and it, and it's less abstract. So if your language is 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 too abstract, like talking about you know the cross of Jesus and and, and things like that, that's all that's all fine. But but it doesn't impact the heart as as deeply. You have to speak to the heart as like like you're speaking to a child. Let's move on to <clears throat> topic two. You call it two natural laws. Uh, expand on that, Alan, please. Okay, so the, the two natural laws uh, uh, um, uh, refer to the uh, the, the two uh, uh, pillars of forgiveness, A and B, that I just described. So A is about the, the, uh, uh, the, the law of uh, uh, restitution. Um, and so the law of restitution says, says, you have to make up for what you did to me. And, and, uh, and, and B is about the law of retribution. You know, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, if, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. Right. So, so these are things which, uh, children naturally learn on their own. Like nobody has to teach them these rules that they, they just naturally arise. And, um, you know, and, uh, uh, and there's, there's a, you know, and these rules are also defined um, um, by God. In, in Leviticus, there's a passage that, that has these two rules t- together, and so, uh, so, so these are these are natural laws of human nature uh, that 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 we actually set aside when when we forgive. We move now to the third topic, the acceptance conundrum. Uh, Dr. Alan okay. G is with us. Alan, expand on that for us, please. The acceptance conundrum. Okay, so so forgiveness is a, a kind of acceptance. You know, just as a, a rose is, is, is a kind of flower, but sometimes it, 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 it's really hard to get to that accepting place. You know, uh, and the acceptance conundrum happens, you know, primarily in, in really egregious cases of of, of personal betrayal. Where you just can't accept what, what's happening, you can't accept that this person you trusted, you know, uh, you know, just violated that trust in, su- in such, you know, such a dramatic way, and um, uh, and so, so the best way for, for me to describe that is, to, is just to read a short ex- excerpt from my book. Uh, so uh, uh, in my book, I, I talk about uh, Jennifer, who, who's someone that that I helped through the forgiveness process in, in one of my forgiveness seminars. And so I write about her, and here, here's the excerpt. Uh, says, uh, Jennifer's inability to fully for, uh, forgive uh, was not due to lack of either choice or faith, as some of those around her insensitively suggested, but the result of a deep inner conflict. As much as a part of her really wanted to forgive and forget, another did not. Whenever she imagined saying the words, I forgive you to him, this other part of her didn't believe what she was saying. It defiantly refused to forgive, vehemently voicing its objection in the form of a rhetorical question, how can I accept the unacceptable? I call this inward resistance to forgive the acceptance conundrum. And, and so that, 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 that's what I mean. So, so, the, uh, um, 
So those of you who, who, who know about uh, Greek mythology, you know, the uh, Sphinx was a creature with a human head and the body of a lion who guarded the entrance to the ancient city of Thebes. The travelers were uh, not allowed to pass unless they could solve its riddle, and those who could not, it devoured. So likewise, unforgiveness will eat us alive unless we can get through it. And so the acceptance conundrum is the, is the riddle of this inner psychological sphinx blocking our path to deep forgiveness until we can provide an acceptable answer. Now, <clears throat> Alan, tell us about topic number four, your personal brain. Uh, I want to hear about this. Okay. All right. So have you ever noticed that, that um, you know, when, when things are, when you're trying to communicate to someone, that when things are said one way, you know, uh, some people don't get it, but when you explain it in a different, equivalent way, they do. So, uh, so teachers have this all, all the time, right? So, so they explain something, half the class doesn't get it. They, do, they explain it a different way to the other class, the other half, you know, um, uh, you know, suddenly gets it, you know, the, the, the one that didn't before. So, so, so the thing is, um, uh, we're all wired differently in, in our brains. You know, um, even when we, when we come from the same cultural background, we, we all have different experiences, and that, that's all stored in our brain. And, 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 and our brain is used to process everything, you know, even forgiveness. So to forgive is ultimately to, to have your brain changed. You know, have the, the connections between the neurons in, in your brain altered, so so that so that forgiveness is, is deepened, and so the um, uh, so uh, so forgiveness can be can be uh, accelerated by by recognizing that by personalizing the language for your for your brain, like like the the uh, the two pillars of forgiveness I mentioned earlier. You know, A and B for um, regarding the law of retribution and and, and restitution. Uh, you know, they, they can be altered slightly to personalize it for, for, for your own brain so, so that it goes deeper into your heart. My guest is Dr. Alan G. Uh, the name of the book, <clears throat> The Language of Deep Forgiveness. Break free from struggling <clears throat> to accept the unacceptable. We have another segment with uh, Dr. G, and when we come back, there. Uh, two important topics that he'll cover for us. One is what forgiveness is not. And then uh, he'll talk to us about the two pillars. Dr. G is located in Fresno, California, and the book is called The Language of Deep Forgiveness. Speaking of books, my latest book has just come out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? And over a period of six or seven years, I tracked, excuse me, I tracked down coaches in the major sports and uh, asked them one question. uh, Who was the key person in you becoming a coach? And uh, they told me, and uh, that's exactly what's in the book. Uh, Word for word, exactly what they told me. Coaches like Pat Riley. Coaches like Phil Jackson and um, uh, baseball managers like um, Joe Torrey and so forth. It's, uh, it was quite a fascinating project, so uh, check it out. Uh, we are back in just a second. <clears throat> 
You're on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, Dr. Alan G. has joined us from Fresno, California. We're talking about his book, The Language of Deep Forgiveness. And, Alan, as I mentioned before the break, uh, you write, what forgiveness is not. What are you telling us there? Well, forgiveness is made more difficult because of many common misconceptions of, of what it is. Um, like for instance, uh, have you ever heard like the following said or, or, or implied by someone? Um, if you have really forgiven me, then you'll excuse my behavior. You'll permit me to continue my behavior. You'll let me back into your life. You'll forget all about it, about it and act like nothing has happened. You'll not feel hurt anymore over what I did. You'll like me and be nice to me. You'll not care uh, whether I face any consequences for my behavior. And so, um, uh, so, so these are all common misconceptions of, of, of what forgiveness is, you know, and, uh, you know, and unfortunately, you know, these confusions can be, can be used by some to, to manipulate others for their own interests. And so, uh, so I, I examine each one of those and, and show how, how, how they're, they, 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 they don't represent forgiveness. And, and then, uh, so forgiveness in, in, in essence is, 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 you know, is, is the two pillars and, and, uh, uh, and, and how we uh, uh, view them. Now here's the other topic. It's called the two pillars. Uh, explain that to us, Alan. Okay. Uh, like I said earlier, so the, the, the two pillars uh, refer to uh, setting aside uh, the uh, law of uh, restitution. Uh, that's pillar A. You know, it basically says um, uh, you don't have to make up for what you did to me. And uh, uh, pillar B is about the setting aside the uh, law of retribution. No, I don't have to hurt you for hurting me, and so that that's my basic view of it. Uh, so uh, uh, in my book, there's 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 four other views uh, of the same two pillars formulated with different language that impacts the heart in, in, in different ways, and uh, um, you know, and and there's a kind of a representation of this uh, two pillar structure that that is that really helps. Uh, you put all the pieces together because you can visualize it, and uh, uh, and that and that has a, a neurological effect too. Because when we engage the uh, our, our our vision as well as our hearing, like speaking things out loud, uh, it, 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 it all uh, helps reinforce the uh, the uh, neurons uh, that that have to uh, be altered in order to forgive more deeply. Alan, what's the conclusion to all this? Uh, what is the conclusion to the book and to our discussion? Well, well, the conclusion is that uh, if uh, if you struggle to forgive for 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 decades and you sincerely uh, 
uh, want to forgive and, 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 and not have these bothersome thoughts pop in your mind and not feel angry every time something reminds you of something that happened in the past or someone that, that that's hurt you, you know, and uh, there, there's hope. Uh, uh, even if you've read every forgiveness book out there and you, and, and you just ended up feeling guilty because you haven't been able to, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, follow their methodology to success, you know, there's hope because what, what I offer is, is a, is a really new solution, a deeper solution. And, uh, um, you know, and I, I really encourage you to uh, to to come and and, and investigate it. And so, um, my ministry is, is online. It's at forgivewell.com. And so, just come to ForgiveWell and 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 check out uh, 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 in further detail uh, what I have to offer. And and I think you'll be uh, uh, encouraged. Alan, uh, tell us because uh, I, I want to keep. Uh... Uh, digging a little bit deeper, uh, in the appendix, uh, you give dictionary definitions of forgiveness. Uh, why did you do that at the end of the book? Why was that important? Yeah, so I, I put it in the appendix. With, it, it's a bit more technical, uh, but uh, the uh, uh, but the importance is that is that I I I, I put the uh, uh, the definitions of forgiveness for three. A major uh, theological dictionaries. So, a uh, new, new Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, uh, Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, and uh, Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels. So, uh, these are all you know um, uh, popular works that that every pastor is familiar with. And so, uh, but what what I've discovered right by looking at how they define forgiveness is that is that it's um, uh, you know, it, 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 it seems, you know, often to be like, you know, overly abstract and practical and, and, and idealistic. You know, like, like, like there's, there's, there's one in particular, it says that forgiveness is, is the wiping out of a offense from memory and can be only affected only by the affronted, uh, once eradicated, that the offense no longer conditions the relationship between the offender and the affronted. And harmony is restored between the two. So that's, that seems really idealistic to me because, you know, uh, forgiveness is different from uh, reconciliation, right? Because just because you forgive someone, you know th- they may be a dangerous person, right? So, so you don't you don't want to have a, a, a continuing relationship with them, right? And plus, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, traumatic experiences, you know, it can't just be like taken out of memory, right? We just we we, we can't wipe out trauma from from memory just like that. So, uh, so what what this shows is that. that there is there's a lot of confusion in the church about what forgiveness actually is, uh, even among theologians. So, um, so so it's not surprise surprising that that there would be a lot of confusion in the church overall, you know, as well. And that and that and that's 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 what I'm trying to uh, uh, the issue I'm trying to address here. Um, one other question, Doc. <clears throat> Why do you think uh, forgiveness is so difficult for so many people to um, to offer to others? Why is it such a difficult challenge? Well, it's 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 uh, it's it's difficult because uh, it kind of goes goes against our our, our our natural instincts, right? We we have we have those two natural laws 
that, that we, 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 uh, uh, we, we, they're kind of like our default laws, right? Uh, of, of, uh, law of retribution and law of restitution, right? And, uh, um, you know, you know, in, in, in cases of, of, uh, of betrayal, right, uh, where, where the violation is deep, it's, 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 it's a very, it, it hits us in the core. And, and, and it's like our, our world is shattered. We, don't, we didn't realize we could be violated in, in such a manner by someone that we had trusted, that, that, was, that was close to us, right? And so we don't want to accept that, that that happened. We don't want to accept them. You know, you know, you know, uh, you know many times when you, when, you, when you try to forgive someone and you look at that feeling inside that pops up, and then you try to give words to it, uh, it, it, it basically says, uh, how can I accept the unacceptable? You know, and, and, and we're in a conundrum, and that's and, and we can get we get into a stuck place. Uh, folks, our guest has been Dr. Alan G. The book, <clears throat> "The Language of Deep Forgiveness: Break Free from Struggling to Accept the Unacceptable." Alan, uh, one more time, how do people reach you? Do you like to hear from your readers? Oh, I'd love to hear my readers. So you can contact me at my website, uh, forgivewell.com, and and you'll find all the information about my book there, and you can sign up for my newsletter list, and and you'll be notified when my next six books in the series come out as well. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Folks, one other quick note. We're still working hard trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. And you can be a big help. Go to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in with us. We need to hear from you. We need your thoughts. Uh, what do you think of the idea? Are you supportive? Would you like to be a season ticket holder if we can pull this off? Orlando's ready. It's become a big market, ready to be at another major league sport. Uh, we have more. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Dr. Alan G. was our guest in that first segment from Fresno, California, Uh, We go from Fresno to the suburbs of Knoxville, Tennessee, and there we have found Melissa Swain. Her book, Write It on Their Hearts, Practical Help for Discipling Your Kids. Melissa, welcome to Orlando. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I love Orlando. Oh, good. Well, we we love having people visit us. No question. It's, it's a it's a balmy eighty four today. So we <laughs> we we tell people, come on down, come on down, come on that's, down. That's that's preferable to the temperature where I am today. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, <laughs> Melissa. Tell me um, the background of this book. How did it come about? Um, my husband Chris actually wrote a good portion of this book. Um, he was a discipleship pastor, and we had been in ministry together for almost 23 years. Um, and he would kept looking for the books that he needed, that he wanted to help us disciple our own kids, and he never could find what he was looking for. He wanted something 
that was straight to the point, very practical, and that gave you um, elements of discipleship and how to do it, but not necessarily a checklist to follow. And because he could never find that book that he was looking for, the Lord put it on his heart to write that book. Um, and so we worked on that together. He he did the heavy lifting on all of that. But as an editor, I jumped in there and, and a little bit. But the Lord called him home um, unexpectedly before he was able to finish. And so um, I finished it. And here it is, our combined work. Oh, that's great. But you open with an uh, introduction called, Who is Discipling Your Children? Question mark. Tell us. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, somebody is discipling our kids. <coughs> Whether or not it's us <coughs> is our decision. Um, the Lord puts us here to disciple our kids. And so if we don't do it, then the culture will. Um, Chris starts out, and he talks about Alexander the Great and how when he conquered the world, um, or the known world at the time, he didn't destroy the societal norms that he um, encountered when he came in. He didn't say, oh, you guys have to stop doing everything that you're doing and start doing things my way. He said, that's okay. You guys can still do that. That's fine. But let me show you all of these other things. Let me bring in entertainment like you've never seen before. Let me bring in the theater and art and let me distract you from the, from the things that you already know that you should be doing. Let me control the narrative and information and decide what you know, how you know it, and when you know it. Um, he said, let me, let me bring in the sports. Let's bring in the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games, and um, let's, let's take our focus off of eternal things and put them on earthly things. And then he said, that's okay. You guys can keep your Jewish schools and your um, stuff like that. I want to bring in this other education as well. And so we, if we are not careful, the culture that is around us will do the same thing with our kids. And it's important for us to remember that culture isn't a bad thing. God's given us wonderful things through music and arts and the culture that we have. But we must make sure that we are filtering all of those things through the lens of God's Word and that we are speaking into that with our kids and pointing them toward Jesus in all of it, because in the Great Commission, we're, we're told that we're to teach all the nations, but all the nations starts in our own homes. Melissa, you opened with a chapter called A Crockpot, Not a Microwave, Disciple Them Like Jesus. Fill us in. Well, when we... When we use a crock pot, we are beginning with the end in mind. We are throwing in raw ingredients, and we are waiting for what's going to happen with that. And that's what Jesus did. That's how he discipled the original 12 disciples. He spent time with them every day. He worked with them as they went along throughout their lives. So it shows us that every decision that we make, every opportunity we have results in the legacy that we build. Jesus could have easily said, hey guys, go read the scriptures and we'll meet once a week and talk about it. But that's not what he did. It was a process that he built over time 
not a checklist or a book that they um, that they had to fill in the blanks for. Um, Jesus was the best at that, and so we model ourselves after what he did. Um, scripture tells us that in Jeremiah, it says, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He's talking about the Israelites there, but we are all God's children. If we um, have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, that's us too. And so we can allow God to write his word on the hearts of our kids. So we provide the opportunity, but God does the writing. We we create the environment um, and allow him to do the work. You know, you can the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That is so true. But you can make him thirsty. And if we make our kids thirsty for Jesus by the way we live our lives and the way we parent and the way we um, we show them Jesus every day, then they'll want more of him. We move on to topic two. Tea parties, jujitsu. And the most important thing, show them you love them. Yeah, we start this whole process with love. We rely on God's love, and then we let love rule the process all the way through. You know, 1 Corinthians tells us we can have all of these awesome things, but if we don't have love, then we have nothing. And so that is why um, the first element of discipleship is love. God commands us to love one another. It's not a suggestion. And so when we start there, everything blossoms and grows from love. Um, Chris was an acronym guy. He loved acronyms. So this book is full of them. It helps us remember what we're supposed to do and all and the elements that we teach through there. So the, the love element is time, and it stands for transparency, intimacy, meaningfulness, and empathy. And it helps us remember that time with our kids today equals transparency tomorrow. Um, We don't withhold from them things that we know that they need, right? So when they spend time with us, they don't withhold things from us either. Um, Intimacy is that relational depth. It, it, It takes a long time to build that. So we build that over time with our kids. Um, those meaningful moments um, that that we can build with our kids sometimes are not the ones that we think. And so we must guard ourselves against connecting with the moment rather than connecting with our kids. But we build those over time. You know, that's the kind of thing like grabbing ice cream in between school and practice or, you know, having an inside joke together. Those are the things that our kids really remember rather than, oh, this one time we did that one thing. And then empathy, when we teach them empathy, it means we understand the other person's feelings, even if they don't communicate them. And so that is a powerful tool for us to teach our children and for us to work that muscle with ourselves as we go about the discipleship process. Melissa Swain is our guest. She's in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. We're talking about her book, Write It on Their Hearts, Practical Help for Discipling Your Kids. Okay, next topic. It's time for the talk. Teach them to pray. Yeah, God wants us to talk to him, right? 
But prayer isn't something that we do for God. It's something we do to be with God. And so that is the first thing that we teach our kids about prayer. But how do we teach our kids to pray? Mostly prayer is more caught than taught. And so our kids are going to pray a lot like we do. And if we don't pray with them, how do they learn that? And so we we pray with our kids. We pray out loud. We let them pray. Um, communicating with God is not a magic formula. It's not special words that we have to say. And I think teaching our kids how to pray instead of what to pray is our most powerful tool here. Um, We use the um, Lord's Prayer in the book to model prayer, but we also teach an acronym called ASK because it's um, short and easy to remember that we ask, we verbalize a need, we seek, we look for God at work because prayer is also an action. It is, it is us looking for, for what we've asked for, and it is knocking, stepping out in faith in response to what God is showing us. Um, so prayer is one of those things that a lot of people are intimidated by, but it is so important for us to grow in our own prayer life so that we can teach our kids the spiritual discipline of prayer. Melissa, tell us about some days never come, connect with them. Yes, we love someday. We say, oh, I'm going to do this someday. I'm going to do that someday. I do not have a space on my calendar that is labeled someday. So someday is today. Um, We connect with our kids every day, whether we realize it or not, and we need to make our connections intentional so that we are communicating the right things to them. Sometimes we, um, we try really hard to create big moments, and then we get disappointed when they land flat. Like, we buy the best, big, awesome present, and then they end up playing with the box. Um, so we control how we feel about that. We can be disappointed, or we can embrace the joy that they have in that and go with it, and that is what we're talking about with connecting with them. Um, Jesus built connection with people because he truly cared for them, and he chose to invest and be present. And we can do that, too, but we have to be intentional about it. It's hard. Um, We use the acronym CARE there. We start with compassion because we know that Jesus was compassionate toward everyone he met. He knew everything about them, and yet he still cared about them in a way that was very deep and, and even allowed him to take the punishment for our sins, even though he's known everything that we have ever done and will ever done. Jesus was authentic. Um, Even though he was sinless, he was always real and holy with people. So we can be authentic with our kids today. And that is so, so hard because what they see on social media and TV, none of that is real or very little of it is actually real. And so being real with our kids might actually be a little bit shocking for them. Um, But we have to teach them to be real with us so they can be real with God. Um, Relevance um, gets a bad rap. That doesn't mean we change our shoes or say the right words. It means that we connect truth into our lives and the lives of our kids in a way that helps them understand and apply it. And God's truth is always relevant. And then We engage with our kids actively. We put our phones down. We look them in the eye. We watch them practice their dance 
routines over and over again, and we help them study for biology because that is actively engaging with our kids and gives us the opportunity to show them how much we care about them and how much we love them. Now I want you to talk about the book is better. Teach them to read the Bible. Yeah, we work from the position that all Scripture is God-breathed, just like it says in 2 Timothy 3. So then we understand that the Bible is the most important resource we have as Christians. So if we help our kids learn to engage with God's Word and apply it, not just read it, and that it's unlike any other book, it is living and active and applies to every single day of our lives, and it's God's love letter to people, then they can take that, and that is a a thing that they can carry with them throughout their whole lives. But if our kids don't see us really engaging with our own Bible, why would it be important to them? So we have to engage with God's Word ourselves, but then we have to talk about that with our kids, and we have to show them how God's Word is impacting our own lives and show them why it's important for their own. We um, teach the HEAR method that was developed by Replicate Ministries to teach our kids how to engage with the Bible. We teach them to highlight a scripture, explain what's going on, apply it to our lives, and then what is our response to that. And when they are young, we can do that with them and help them. As they get older, they can begin to learn to do this on their own. And this is something that they can carry through them with them throughout their entire lives. You don't have to have special tools to do this. You don't have to be in a special place. You don't have to have a special book. You just have to have your scripture and the hear method, and that is all you have to have. My guest is Melissa Swain. She's in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. The book, Write It on Their Hearts. We've got more with Melissa. When we come back, she's going to talk to us about over and over again, hold them accountable. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And it's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We will be right back with Melissa Swain. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Melissa Swain is our guest. Write it on their hearts, the name of the book. And as mentioned, Melissa, I want you to talk about over and over again, hold them accountable. Yeah, accountability is almost a dirty word in our culture these days because it doesn't feel tolerant and inclusive. But the Bible tells us that holding one another accountable provokes love and good works. It says that in Hebrews 10. So accountability empowers us to be fully alive in Christ. It's like having guardrails on a bridge that keep us on the path that we should be on and keeps us from falling off the bridge into the place that we don't need to be. And so accountability, we come at it a little bit differently. Um, Brian Moran in the 12-week year talks about using accountability to hold someone capable So we know that our kids are capable of so much. And by holding them accountable, we're saying, I know you can do this. I know you are capable, and I know you have so much potential. Let me help you get there by empowering to do what you're capable of. And so that means that we have to hold ourselves accountable, too. 
because when we're transparent with our kids and we acknowledge that we don't always hit the mark we're aiming for, that builds that intimacy and empathy that we were talking about earlier. But it also teaches our kids when we allow them to hold us accountable for something, then it teaches them that accountability is a two-way street. It's not always something bad. Um, and it allows us to work those muscles of accountability on small things as we build up over time. And then when we hit them with, hey, man, that was a, that was a big deal. Let's talk about that then they don't feel attacked. They understand that accountability is important to all of our lives. Melissa, topic seven, the hardest work you'll ever do, teach them to rest. Tell us more. Restlessness is an addiction and hurry is We pack our schedules. We lose sleep. We have no time to spare. I had a day this week myself. When one kid was late getting somewhere because I didn't get another kid back um, from where we were before. And that is not the way I like to live my life because that is that makes me feel crazy and I don't like that. But there is a reason for that. It's not just, oh, I'm spending so much time in the car. It is because God commanded us to rest. He told us in the Ten Commandments, rest. He rested. Even after he spoke the world into existence, he took a day to rest. And so he didn't suggest it. He commanded it. And so we think a lot of times we can ignore this commandment, but we can't. Uh, And if we want to live a fuller life in Christ, we have to learn to rest and we have to teach our kids to rest. And the way we do that is through the acronym STOP. We, We start with being still, learning to be still in our body and mind and heart. And it's a challenge. It's necessary. We teach centering prayer. Um, we you can and you can do it with little kids and big kids alike. Um, and so it is not something that we have to feel intimidated by. We teach ourselves and our kids to talk to God about things, um, to, to talk to Him about the things that are on our hearts, and that gives us rest in Him. Um, we offer up things that are on our hearts and minds that that cause us worry. And when we do that, we can rest in the peace that God brings us because he's heard us, he's in control of everything, and he's got it. Melissa, at the end of the book, your family's discipleship plan, what's that all about? So throughout the whole book, we teach these six elements. And at the end of the book, we want to give families the opportunity to customize how these elements look in their family for each of their kids. Um, not every family is the same. We all have different needs. Every kid is different, too. And so we don't have checklists of these are the things that you have to do to disciple your kids. We give you ideas. We help you along the way, and we say, hey, this week, focus on love. You can do it daily. You can do it weekly. You can do it monthly. You can do have one plan for the whole year, but you need but remembering to focus on those elements and guiding yourself through this little path here to be intentional with your kids and maximize those meaningful moments. It's going to look different for everybody, but we want to help do that. So, Melissa, what do you want people to take from our discussion? I want people to know that discipling our kids is the one thing that we cannot outsource. We can pay somebody to mow the lawn. 
We can have somebody bring our groceries to us. We can automate our bill payments. We can do all kinds of things and let other people handle the dirty work on those things. This is not one of those things. It is so important that parents understand that we are responsible for discipling our kids, and we are empowered to do it because Jesus told us to, and so he will give us what we need to do that. So what does what a discipled kid look like in the final production? What, what do you see as the, the conclusion to a kid who's been well-discipled? Um, my vision of a kid who's been well-discipled is a kid who knows that he is loved by his family. He knows that Jesus loves him. He knows how to pray and how to, how to take his cares to Jesus, to talk to God. He knows that Scripture has the answers for everything that we need, and he knows how to go to Scripture and how to engage with Scripture in his life. Um, he knows how to, um, to, to be accountable, to, to accept accountability um, in his life, even when it's not so fun sometimes. And he knows how to rest, how to take, take a moment to, to step back, to give himself time to speak with God, to be with God, and to rest his mind and body as well. Why is discipling children so challenging or, or, is, or, or difficult or neglected? It, what, do you, what do you think? I think it is so hard because these are little people that we have birthed, yet we can control nothing they do. We can't make them nap. We can't make them eat their green beans. We cannot make them do anything, and yet we're supposed to be in charge. And that can be really frustrating, and I think that parents find it so overwhelming, the idea that we are responsible for our children's spiritual growth and health, but we're only responsible up to a certain point. It is our job to disciple our kids, to bring them into this environment where God can write His Word on their hearts. He does the writing, and they have to be the ones to allow it. So, you know, we we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, and and we kind of should, but we can't make them love Jesus. That's between them and God. And so even that we don't have control over. We have to rest in God and know that He is going to honor the work and that nothing we do with them is wasted when Jesus is involved. What's next for you, Melissa, now that this is done? Do you have a, another book rattling around in your brain? Uh, maybe. Maybe so. I don't know. We'll see. Right now I'm focused on homeschooling my kids and teaching my son to drive. And, um, you know, those are big things in our lives. What does it take to homeschool your children? That's an interesting topic, isn't it? It is. Um, it is. Um, it takes um, patience that I don't have. Um, we, <laughs> we mess up all the time. It takes a lot of flexibility, and it takes lots and lots of prayer, and it really takes a good support group. So I, um, I love it. I um, encourage people that if they think they may be led in that direction to talk to somebody they know who's doing it, um, and really see if that might be what the Lord has for them. It's not for every family. It's not what God calls every family to do, but we love it. 
My guest has been Melissa Swain. The book, uh, Write It on Their Hearts, Practical Help for Discipling Your Kids. The Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've been doing this show for many, many years here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And we are always so pleased, so very pleased when you take time to join us. Uh, We try to have a wide variety of guests and um, the most interesting guests in the United States that we can find that we know you'll enjoy. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've had an interesting hour, first of all, with Dr. Alan G. from Fresno, California, talking about his book, The Language of Deep Forgiveness, Break Free from Struggling to Accept the Unacceptable. And then Melissa Swain joined us from the Knoxville, Tennessee area. And we talked about her book, Writing It on Their Hearts, Practical Help for Discipling Your Kids. Well, we're so grateful that you joined us. And uh, we'll have another interesting hour for you next weekend uh, right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And I want to wish you... uh, a wonderful, merry, and happy Christmas and a wonderful new year, 2023. It's creeping up on us ever so quickly. Have a great week ahead. We'll see you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.